Genesis 26. We'll be looking at Genesis 12 in a moment, but we'll start with Genesis 26. Easy one to find. Thank you for marking my birthday later on this week. That's very kind of you. Lynn enjoys this moment because we're actually sort of one year apart, but uh, come Friday we'll be one decade apart. She'll enjoy that for a while. She'll make the most of it, I'm sure. But it was a good month, Lawrence, wasn't it? Very good month. When's your birthday? Tuesday, right, Tuesday. Ah. Well, have a good day. <clears throat> Little boy was told off by his father for forgetting his aunt's birthday and told to write a letter to her. So instead he phoned her up and he said, Aunt, I'm very sorry that I missed your birthday. It would serve me right if you forgot my birthday, which is next Wednesday. <laughs> <clears throat> Father, we thank you for every celebration. The church is 200 years old this year. King James, the Bible, is 400 years old this year. We love these celebrations, Lord. They mark the passage of time, not just in a boring, monotonous way, but a way in which we can celebrate all that you've done. They mark the wonderful moments, Lord. Thank you for those who translated the Bible that we can look at in a moment. Thank you for those who planted this church and have seen it through these 200 years. Thank you for our births, Lord, and our new birth in Jesus. Thank you for all the celebrations we can have, Father. We come on a Sunday morning to celebrate the fact that we are yours and you are ours. We come to lift up your name and exalt your name and your word above every other name and above every other word. Our minds are being full of all sorts of other things this week, Lord, but for this moment we want to concentrate on your word, hear from you, help us to straighten out our thinking, to recapture a vision of who you are and what you're doing in our world, which in fact is your world, Lord, so that we can join in with you and see your name glorified. So come and speak to us through your word, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So reading from Genesis 26, Now there was a famine in the land, besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees and my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. I guess this week, this coming week, you're going to have to make some decisions, aren't you? I don't know what you had to do last week, but each day and each week requires us to make decisions. Some of those are fairly significant decisions, aren't they? Some are very small. Do I wear brown trousers or brat trousers? You know, hardly important ones. But other ones are of larger note. Do you replace the car with another one because that's falling out? It's a big financial commitment. Do you move home? That can be another one. 
not only to do with finances, but also to do with the whole exercise of moving to another area. Big and small decisions. How do you make those decisions? What do you work through to make those decisions? Or do you just say, well, this is what I want, or this is the best thing to do? Here, Isaac is having to make a decision. It's a famine in the land. And um, he's in Israel, which is meant to be a land flowing with milk and honey, but there's a famine in the land. And so he's got a decision to make. If he stays in the land, it looks like he will run out of food and his family will suffer. And he has responsibility to his wife and to his servants and so forth, and to his flocks and herds, I guess. So he's thinking about going down to Egypt, which is what his father had done a few years before. Abraham had faced an... Um, a famine and had gone down to Egypt. So he's thinking about doing that, going down to Egypt, and God steps in and tells him not only what to do, but why he should do it. Don't you just wish God would do that for you sometime? And you'd hear this loud, audible voice giving you instructions. It doesn't work like that quite these days. The Spirit works within us and cooperates with us. So we still hear the Word of God, but not in the way it seems some of these Old Testament saints had. And Isaac here thinks it's all about just him and his family, but God says to him, no, this is a bigger issue. It doesn't just affect you and your family. This affects, well, it, it's not too much to say. It affects the nations of the world. And Isaac thinks it's just about food and drink, and God says, no, it isn't. It's about something much bigger than that. He tells him to stay still, not move down, but stay here. So as Isaac contemplates what to make, what to do, what decision to make, God gives him some guidance and principles about how he should do that. Our lives should be based on the same sort of principles. So now turn back with me to Genesis 12, because Isaac has been reminded by God why he should stay in the land. God tells him, stay in the land because this is the land I gave to your father and I will give to you and your descendants. And it will be through you and your descendants that all the nations on the earth will be blessed. So don't go because your son is something bigger. Stay where you are. So here we are in Genesis chapter 12 then. So the Lord had said to Abram, if you don't mind, I'll call him Abraham. It's much easier than keep saying Abraham, Abram, and all that sort of stuff. If you don't mind, and I'll call Sarah his wife if I mention her. Sarah. Otherwise it gets confusing for me. I'm a bear of small brain. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all nations on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Abraham travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh, a Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. 
So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. At this point in the Bible, very early on in the Bible, a big change happens. Someone said this, Genesis 12 marks a turning point in God's unfolding plan of redemption. God tells Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Unless we miss its importance, the book of Genesis repeats it four more times. The earliest preaching in the church after the resurrection of Jesus understood that the salvation Jesus had introduced was a fulfilment of this promise to Abraham. So God is giving Abraham a promise. Now I love verses like this, sections like this, because it gives you an insight into the heart of God. I have a little grandson who's four, and his father's just beginning to start reading to him The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, a book to fire the imagination. If you've never read it, you ought to however old you are in the tooth. Whenever I feel downcast, I get the Narnia stories out and read them all again. I just love it. And um, in that story, little Lucy, of course, you know the story because you've seen the film, haven't you, uh, gets stuck in the wardrobe and finds her way into the Narnia and comes back and tells her two brothers and sisters this cock and bull story about a, a land in the wardrobe. And they are thoroughly confused, think she's pulling their leg, but she's very serious about it. So eventually they go and see the professor in whose house they are staying. He's a very wise man. And he says to them, is Lucy normally a person who tells the truth or tells lies? They say, well, normally she tells the truth. Then what reason do you have to suppose she's lying now? And they look blankly at him and go off and begin to the process of believing her. It takes a little while. But he says... What's her, norm, what's her normal character? What's she like normally? Well, that helps you understand one part when you don't necessarily follow what's happening. Now, if you read through the Old Testament and then into the New Testament, I guess you'll have some questions about who this God is, don't you? What's he up to? Here's a wonderful verse, or verses 2 and 3, that give us an idea of where God's heart is. I'll read them again. This is... God speaking to Abraham, I hesitate to say he's an old man because I might get told off by someone later on. He's only 75 having said that, so there you go. He'll become an old man of 175 when he dies, so we can call him old then I guess, but I don't want to tread on anyone's toes here. He's just a guy of 75. And this is what God says to him. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll pause there, just so you can let that sink in. God says to this chap, who has no claim on God whatsoever, he says, I will bless you. If you read the Bible carefully, you'll find that is what God wants to do with everybody. Here it goes on. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's great, isn't it? The motivation behind everything God does is love, of course, because God is love. And it's expressed in this way. He says to Abraham, who's just this chap who he's dragged up from Mesopotamia and made him go round into the promised land, he says, I'm going to bless you. 
and I'm going to make you a blessing, and through you all the peoples on earth are going to be blessed. It's a wonderful story. Now this chap used to live in Babylon. If I was clever with PowerPoint and all that sort of stuff, at this point in the, in the sermon, a wonderful map would appear there and you'd see where Babylon was. But I, I'm a low-tech guy, all right? So this is where Israel is, the promised land, okay? That's where Babylon is, all right? There. You got that? River Euphrates up there and then Israel. You got that? You remember all from your school geography, don't you? You knew that already, didn't you? Well, that's anyway, that's where he lives. And he's settled there... Babylon and Ur down there are very prosperous areas. They're just off the Persian Gulf. It's the main tracking trade route through to India and the Far East. Loads of transportation, loads of trade going through here. Very wealthy place. So like many other people, Abraham is probably a very wealthy guy. But at the age of 75, God says, I've got a job for you. As someone said, what makes a man take off his slippers and put on his walking boots and walk to a land he doesn't know. It's a vision of God. Stephen put it like this. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. And a vision from God for Abraham meant that everything had changed, and at the age of 75 he ups and goes to a land he's never been to before. He's prepared to give up everything and go to a distant, far-off country because he's seen something of the purposes of God. And this is the purpose of God, that he wants to bless Abraham and make him a blessing. He wants to bless Abraham and make him a blessing. This is probably how we would look at discipleship. The beginning of our discipleship begins with a vision of God in some way or other. We encounter Jesus in some form or other. And our vision of the world is never the same again. The world looks completely different from what it was before. Isn't that what happens? If it doesn't happen, I suspect we haven't really engaged with God. Somehow the world looks different when we engage with God. Something happens. It's what happened to Abraham. It's what happened to Paul. It's what happens to the disciples when Jesus is calling them. They don't understand it all. They haven't got a fully worked out theology of who God is, but something's being caught. They've caught a vision. And they'll never be the same again. So from this time on, Abraham can leave what his friends think are important things and look forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So Abraham must leave and go to inherit the promise of God. He sees things from a different perspective. So the promise that God unveils to Abraham is simply this, one of blessing. Now Paul will take a lot of trouble in Romans 4 to explain to us that we are the children of Abraham, not because we can trace our fathers and our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers all the way back to Abraham, but he says if we have the faith of Abraham, if we believe in the same God as Abraham, then we are the children of Abraham. That being so, the promise God gives to Abraham comes to us. So when God speaks to Abraham and says, I will bless you, and make you a blessing. And through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. 
comes down not only to Isaac, his son, and Jacob, his grandson, and Joseph and all the others, his great-grandsons, and therefore all the way through, but comes to us too. So let me tell you something simple this morning. The Lord wants to bless you. It's rather reassuring, isn't it? If I were to ask you what kind of week you've had, you'd, I'd get all sorts of different answers, so I'm not going to do that. Because some of you are going to say, well, it's been a tough week, Charles, actually, in all sorts of ways. I hardly knew how I was going to get through it, frankly. It's been testing in all manner of different ways. So if you're going to tell me the Lord wants to bless me, well, to be honest, there wasn't much evidence of it last week. And that would be the case, I guess, for some of us. Others of us will be sitting here thinking, oh, the Lord has been so good to me. It's easy for us to stand here and be, experience a sense of blessing. But regardless, the Lord wants to bless us. This is where we get into tricky territory because I could easily stand here and say, the Lord wants to bless you with abundant this and loads of that, which is how some people see it. That's not how it is. The blessing that the Lord wants to give us is the ability to live godly lives in his world to the praise of his name. That's the blessing he wants to give. Notwithstanding the circumstances of your life. And here's the second thing he wants. He wants to make you a blessing. So the blessing he wants to give you is not for you alone. It's very important. The blessing he wants to give you is for other people. He wants to make you a blessing. That other people will be blessed through you. That all the nations on earth will be blessed through you. So do you know why this church was planted 200 years ago? Because people caught the vision that they wanted Hurstmanzu to be blessed by God. And they did so by planting a church here. Well, there was a church here probably before that time. There certainly was. And this was a further expression of it. That the whole town would be blessed. So the blessing God wants to give you and me is not so I can say, oh my goodness, look at this wonderful blessing that I have. Don't you wish you were me? But the blessing is to give away. Do you remember in Moses' day when they're walking through the wilderness and God provides them day by day with manna? Day by day they have to go out and collect it. Do you remember what happened to those who thought, I better be a bit prudent here and keep some in the larder for tomorrow in case we oversleep? Do you know what happened to it? You know, don't you? It went rotten, didn't it? So the blessing they received and held on to went rotten. Whereas when some who sent their children out to say, go and collect the manna, and the children had a wonderful time and brought back masses of it, far too much for this one family of 15 children to eat, they said, well, we better give away what we don't need to our neighbours. Because it's no good to us, we'll have what we need. And they gave it away and blessed others, which was the point of it. And Paul uses that illustration in 2 Corinthians 8 about giving. Not so the rich people become poor and the poor people become rich, because that just keeps swapping things around. But we share the excess, the abundance with others, so they'll be blessed. How does this work in practice? Turn to Genesis chapter 39, and we encounter... Joseph, Abraham's grandson. No, great-grandson. Sorry, I missed out on that. Because how does this blessing work? 
Because you could be saying to me, okay, Charles, well, if, I, if God literally did bless me with far more abundance than I could ever use, then of course it would be easy for me to bless other people. But you don't understand, Charles, just how difficult it is for me to get through a day, let alone a week. And you're talking about God wants to bless other people through me? Well, that's going to be a tricky one. Let me just give you an illustration of how this works from the Bible. So I can say it works, not because I've experienced it, but because someone else has here. You remember the story of Joseph? He is the 11th son of Jacob. The first son by Rachel, which was his first love. So if Rachel had been his first wife, then Joseph would have been his eldest son, wouldn't he? Which is why he treats him as if he was an eldest son. But he's actually the 11th. Which means the other 10 don't like him very much. He's the spoilt brat. He's a youngster. He's the favourite at the bottom of the pile. And they don't like that. So they club together and decide to kill him. Well, some do, but others say, don't kill him. Let's just be nasty to him, but don't kill him. But anyway, the end result is, instead of killing him, they sell him off into slavery to the Midianites who happen to be passing by. And they sell him off into slavery. Selling your brother off into slavery is not very nice, is it? So now he heads down to Egypt... And he arrives in Egypt, a foreign land whose culture he doesn't always understand, whose language he only partially speaks, as a slave with no rights. And he's bought by a guy called Potiphar who says, you'll do for working in my house. So this is very unpromising. Jake, Joseph did not at one time say, what I want more than anything else is to become a slave in the house of an Egyptian he didn't say that. These were decisions other people made for him. He has no hope of any change. The only hope for change he has is the probability of being executed for doing something wrong. Not very promising, is it? This is not very promising. So if he wanted to be a bit grouchy and say, blessing God, you want to bless me? This doesn't look very much like blessing, to be honest. And if this is the best you can do, Thank you and good night. I want nothing else to do with you. But he doesn't. Look at this. The Lord was with, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when the master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put it, him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Do you see how it works? There's this guy living a very impoverished life, but saying, well, God is God and I am me and it's still my responsibility to live a godly life as far as I can, so he does. And God is so with him that Potiphar says, this is amazing, I've never had a servant like this before, and entrusts everything to his unknown servant. And God blesses Potiphar. Some of you may run your own business or have been in business, businessmen ought to be saying, well, these folk who call themselves Christians, I don't know what they understand, but they are my best workers. 
That's what they ought to say. I don't know that they do, but that's what they ought to say. They are my best workers. I don't know what they believe and I don't agree with it. But actually, they're the best workers because somehow my business flourishes with these people working because they seem to be working... Well, I don't know, it's a strange thing, but quite not for me, but for some higher authority because they do what they do well. That's what's happening here. So if you think your situation is too hard for the Lord to use you to bless others, think again. Well, of course... Having lived a God life and the Lord blessed, of course then the Lord's going to take Joseph out of this horrible situation and move into somewhere nice. No, he's not. No, he's not, because he's a hunky lad. And anyone under 21 has to put their hands over their ears at this point, because he's a hunky lad and Potiphar's wife fancies him. And she says, come to bed with me. Have sex with me. As I said, under 21's put your hands over your ears. You shouldn't be hearing this. Nah. So... Well, what's he to do? He's only a servant. You can't say no to the boss's wife, can you? But he does. And risks for refusing. But he does anyway. Anyway, she doesn't like that. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And um, Potiphar arrives back one day and his wife says, he tried to rape me. I have a feeling that Potiphar, although it says he was really angry, I had a feeling he knew what was going on here because he didn't actually kill him, which he should have done, really. He just chucks him in prison. But that's where it goes. He goes in prison. So now he's a slave in a foreign land, in prison. Can it get any worse, I ask myself? Not much. So what's Joseph going to do? Oh, thank you very much, Lord. So by living a godly life, this is what I get. Oh, thank you. He could have said it, couldn't he? In fact, if it had been me, I probably would have said it. But he, no trace of that with Joseph. Well, if that's the cost of living a godly life, so be it. I'm still God's man, and I'm going to live here to the glory of God. So, verse uh, 20, at the paragraph change. But while... Joseph was there in the prison. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. This guy's still going for it, my friends. And now the prison is a blessed place because this man is living to the glory of God and saying, Lord, bless me that I may be a blessing. Well, I don't suppose he used those words necessarily. He may have done. I don't know. But he's conscious of living to the glory of God even in these unpromising circumstances. Let me move the story on because there's a big point here. There's a big point here. Let me move the story on. Two people join him in prison. They both have dreams. You remember that? And they don't know what to do about the dreams. And they go, oh, they wake up one morning looking very sad. And Joseph says, what's wrong with you? He's a man who cares about other people. He asks fellow prisoners, what's the matter with you? What's he got to do with him? Because he cares, even in prison. And they say, well, we had these dreams. And they told him his dreams. And he says, oh, well, I know the answer to those dreams. Well, actually, I don't, but God does. And then this is the answer. One of you is going to be restored. And the other is going to be executed. And it was true. One was restored to his position before and the other was executed. And to the one who was going to be restored, Joseph said, don't forget me, will you? Because I shouldn't really be here. Put a good word in for me. 
So now it's all going to change for the good, isn't it? No, because for two years, the cupbearer forgot about him. Such is the blessing God pours upon those who live godly lives. But stay with me, because two years later, Pharaoh wakes up having had an outrageous dream about cattle and ears of corn and all that sort of stuff, which you remember. And he goes to his wise men and he says, uh, what's all this about? And they say, we have no, an idea, king. We have no idea, your majesty. And the cupbearer says, oops, two years ago, I met a bloke in prison when you were angry with me and he interpreted my dream. He's the guy you should be talking to. So Pharaoh gets him and he gets a shave and a wash and a bath and all that and comes before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, I've heard you can interpret dreams. And Joseph says, no, I can't, but God can. A man who knows God. And explains a dream. And as a result of which, Joseph is made prime minister and the famine that is coming that will affect not only all of Egypt, but all of the promised land that would have killed off all of Egypt and all of the people in the promised land doesn't have the effect it should have done. And right at the end of his life, Joseph can say to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for the good, for the saving of many lives. Looking back on his life, he saw that actually God did bless him and make him a blessing not only to Potiphar and to the fellow, fellow prisoners in prison, but to Pharaoh too, that all the nations in that area should be blessed just because one man served God. If that cupbearer had remembered straight away and Joseph had been released and put back in Israel, then there would not have been someone in Egypt to interpret Pharaoh's dream when he needed it. And Egypt would have been wiped out by the famine and so would the family of Abraham. And we would not be sitting here reading God's word. Because one man saw he was part of something big. Isaac said, shall I go down because there's a famine in the land? God says, no, you're part of something big. So God wants to bless you this week and make you able to live a godly life in the circumstances that you face, whatever they are, however good or unpromising they may be, that through you, other people will be blessed and further afield. No situation is too hard for God. Whether you live on your own and feel you don't affect anybody, I bet you live next to somebody, or whether you employ other people or work with other people, the Lord wants to bless you, to make you a blessing, and to spread that blessing out. Not so we do that not so that people become Christians first of all, but simply that they know the blessing of God. It's encouraging, isn't it? Don't you feel encouraged? That this week you can be a channel of blessing to people. And when you think about the ways in which other people have brought brightness into your life and joy into your life, it's actually mostly the small things of life that do that, isn't it? Oh yes, the gift of a brand new 12-seater minibus, because you needed one, is really good. 
But actually, oftentimes, it's the phone call that you needed at the time you needed, that bunch of flowers someone gives to you just out of the goodness of their heart, someone inviting you for a meal, expressing friendship. Those are the things that touch our lives, aren't they? Those small things. So I've done. You got it. This is the way God says it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face towards you and give you peace. And may you find this week the joy of being a blessing to somebody else and seeing their life transformed for good. Amen.